I, 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 I kind of teased you last week with this, this idea where we're talking about what is missing and, and what, what God did through the book of Acts. And I want you guys to really stop and focus with me on this this morning because uh, Pastor Michael and I, we were talking, we were getting ready for the banquet. And I began to just reminisce with him and I was saying, you know, I said, I remember growing up that there was times in my life that I remember being in services where I felt the moving of God. Where, where, and if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. It wasn't emotionalism. It wasn't just the fact that somebody sang a, a cool song and everybody got goosebumps. But something happened in the service where all of a sudden, uh, I, I remember one when we were at a youth rally and it's a, a group of teens got up and started coming to the altar and people started being saved. And one after another, and by the end of the night, there was like 30, 40 teens that gave their life to Christ. Uh, the pastor had not even got up yet to preach and something powerful was happening. Well, there, there's a power behind the scenes or should be in the church that is greater than a song and greater than a preacher and, and greater than uh, songs, logos, and, and themed choirs and everything else that we have. There should be a moving of the Spirit of God. But for our generation, it's almost become the idea of revival or something like that has almost become a myth. The idea of having a, a touch of God. And let, if, as I throw these words out there, I don't want anybody getting nervous because we're Baptists. In the Bible, the Bible does talk about there being an anointing of God, okay, where, where God puts his hands on people and uses them. If you don't believe me, you need to start in Genesis to read through Revelation and see it over and over and over and over again. You also see revivals where the Spirit of God moved in times and places. And we have the great awakening and the great revivals that happened around the world and in England and in America that did not happen because of a man, but because of a touch of God. It does not have to be a myth. But I believe the principles that we find in the book of Acts ought to teach us what was there and what is missing today. Now I know before I get into this, the book of Acts, for anybody that studies their Bible, we acknowledge that the book of Acts is a transitional book. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that was introducing Jesus Christ, the age of grace, the age of, uh, uh, of the church, the foundation of the church. Jesus mentioned it for the very first time. And all of a sudden, Jesus leaves them in Acts. And all of a sudden, the disciples move forward, carrying out the mission of Jesus Christ. I don't want anybody to get confused saying, hey, some of what we read in the book of Acts, we don't... Uh, see the same way today. You are right. It was a transitional book. They were being introduced to the Spirit of God. They were starting churches. They were finding the first deacons. All of those things happened for the first time. But let me promise you this. The principles and the promises that we read of God are just as true today. Let me give you some more background. The book of Acts is actually written by the book of Luke. Luke wrote the first one, and all of a sudden the book of Acts comes, and it's almost like a continuation of what we read from Luke. He just did it all the way through. And the crazy thing is, Luke was not a disciple of Jesus Christ. A lot of people have this idea that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all disciples. Only half of those guys worked. But they, he wrote this detailed narrative about the working of the Spirit of God that began to work in the book of Acts. And in his gospel of Luke... He talks about how they arrested Jesus and how they put him on trial and how they nailed him to a cross and how they publicly humiliated Jesus, how they attempted desperately to put a stop to the gospel. Did they succeed? 
Man, you guys are not with me today. <laughs> that is not a hard question. Help me out here. Did they succeed? No, they did not succeed. But let me, let me tell you how they tried to stop the gospel. So they take this radical religious leader, they bring him to the cross, they nail him to the cross, and they kill him. Did they succeed in stopping the gospel? No, do you know why? Because Jesus was life, and with God there was power, and they nailed that power to the cross, and Jesus did die on the cross, and he died for our sins, but three days later he came out of the tomb. They could not stop the gospel. They could not stop the gospel. The Bible explains to us in Ephesians that that power that raised Jesus from the dead was dunamis power. It was a miraculous power. It was a power that was mighty in strength and mighty in works and was able to do more than what was in the world. But the root word to that word power is amazing as well. It means to be able, to be possible. Teaching us that the power of Jesus Christ could do anything. It wasn't just that, they raved, that Jesus was raised from the dead. It was simply the fact that with God, all things are possible. Yes. Now you're going to come back and say, well, that sounds great. But we don't have Jesus anymore. If Jesus was here with us today, if we had him preaching in our churches, if we had him leading discipleship groups, if we had him anointed writing books and all these things that we have, but by the way, we do have a book that he wrote but it did not stop with the book of Acts. See, if, I, if the book of Acts was the sequel to the Gospels, the same way that they could not stop the Gospel being continued in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they could not stop the Gospel in the book of Acts. You say, how is that possible? See, even through the book of Acts, they were still threatened, they were still beat, they were still crucified, they were still arrested, they were drug out of their cities, they were placed on trial, Stephen was stoned to death for preaching the gospel, and all of this, the gospel did not stop, it flourished. You say, why is that? You cannot stop the dunamis power that was present. You say, but Jesus wasn't there. I, I, I know, you've you got to understand where we're going with this. Again, proving through all of this that there is no opposition in this world that can stop the power of the gospel. Revivals began. Thousands and thousands of people began to get saved. The church did not add. The church began to multiply. They were strong. They were together. They were united. And they turned the world upside down. But I ask you the question, how? The only way that I can really lay out what I'm going to read to you in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, is I have to take you back into the gospel to show you the promise to come. Jesus gave them a promise through all of them. Jesus made them a promise leading up to the book of Acts. And he said in John 14, verse 16, And I pray the Father that he shall give you another comforter. Why would he use the words another Here's Jesus with them. He is standing with them. He is, the, the, word, the word comforter means teacher, teacher and counselor and educator and, and the, the one that, that, that built them up and edified him. And he said, hey guys, it's not over. I'm going to give you another comforter. Jesus said, I'm not going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to give you a replacement of who I am to continue what you had. That he may abide with you forever. He made him a promise. Through this, when Jesus was leaving, 
It goes deeper than even we could imagine. Jesus defines who the comforter is or who he promised to come in John 14, 26. But the comforter, listen to this, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things you remember. Remembrance, what's why I have said unto you, the Holy Ghost. He said, this comforter is going to come to you. He's going to be with all of you. He's going to teach you. He's going to guide you. He's going to instruct you. God is going to do all these things. But please get this. This is powerful. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, if you don't stop and realize what I'm about to read, it's going to go right by you and you're going to miss out on this. John 16, 7, again, leading up to Acts chapter 1. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. The word expedient, me, expedient means it is better for you. It, it, it's important for you. What I'm about to tell you will profit you. It is expedient for you that I go away. Jesus said this. Now, now I, we, we sit there and say, man, only if Jesus was still here. Jesus goes to the disciples and he said, guys, what I'm about to do, you're not going to fully understand. It is important that I go away. It is important. It is profitable that I step out of this world. Listen to the promise that was given to them. For if I go not away, the Comforter, the Holy Ghost will not come into you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. He said, guys, I, I, I am with you. And I'll tell you, Jesus was God. He was God 100%. But he promised to give us something that was going to blow their minds. But they still did not get it. Now I take you to Acts chapter 1. Luke writes this book and addresses Theophilus. Now we don't know the details of this person, but he's pouring into this guy and this Theophilus. This name means lover of God. This dude loved God with all of his heart. And Luke begins to take these papers and write down to him and says, Oh Theophilus. He, he said, oh, Theophilus, uh, of that which Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles. God continued the work that Jesus came to do through the Holy Spirit. Through whom he had chosen. To whom he had showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise. What was the promise? God made them a promise. I'm going to give you something great. I'm going to give you something powerful. I'm going to give you a power that's going to shake the world. It is coming. And by the way, God keeps his promises. What we're about to say was not just to the 120 that gather in the upper room. It's not just to those that gather in the book of Acts chapter 2 that were saved. It's not just to Stephen and those that were gathered that day that he was stoned. It is to the church today. God said, I give you a promise. And I'll admit that what I'm about to say is taught differently by a lot of people. And I honestly was going to pull away from this and be like, man, I, I don't even want to open this can of worms. The subject of the Holy Spirit makes people nervous. It does. Because it's been so 
messed around and you, you get it, you don't get it. Or you get it down the road and you get part of it and then it gets part of you and, oh, and everybody gets so confused. I, I, I want to explain what Jesus was giving them. I, I want us today to understand that when they left that day with the gift of the Holy Spirit or the promise of the Holy Spirit, they were able to change the world. But without the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, they were powerless. And church, let me tell you today as we get into this, you can walk out of here today and try to change your life, convert your life, and, and, and try to get over the drugs or whatever you in. You cannot do it without the power that has the power to change you. That's it. And I know that I'm talking about the, the church and us being together. And if you notice as I preach this, that word together is all through the book of Acts. What he did through them of, of the working of the Spirit of God and the building of the church, they did not do alone. But we should not be afraid of the Spirit of God. You know why? Because it is truth. We should not be afraid of the Spirit of God because it was Jesus that lived with them. It was Jesus that served them. It was Jesus that taught them. It was Jesus that changed them. And today we don't have Jesus present with us, but we have the Holy Spirit present with us that does all of those same things in our lives. We just don't understand it. But let me tell you, God keeps his promises. God is faithful. It wasn't just the promise to them. But where I want to get into today is his presence with them. So Acts chapter 1 verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait from the promise of the Father, which he saith unto them, ye have heard of me. Now they had to wait for the experience or the transition from Jesus to the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you today, we don't have to wait on the transition. <laughs> Jesus is already up in heaven. He's already made the promise to us. We can get into the epistles and we can see when we get saved, there's something that comes into our life. It is the Holy Spirit. But in this passage right here, they had to wait on it. Jesus is there in the flesh, you know, saying goodbye to them, ascending up into heaven, saying, hey, I made you a promise. I keep my promise. God always keeps his promise. But listen to verse 5, how Jesus described it. For John truly baptized with water. John represented Jesus Christ and went out before them. Today, we practice, especially as baptism, baptism, physical baptism. If you get saved, the next commandment for you as a believer is to walk up into that place, to walk down in the water, and to be immersed in that water. Now, you've got to understand that that was a testimony of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, representing that we believe that Jesus Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. But you need to understand that that water comes from the city of Columbus, not the throne of God. You need to understand, we throw chlorine tablets into that water. And chlorine tablets do have power, but not the power to save you, but the power to eliminate algae. You need to understand that that water cannot change you. That water cannot wash away your sins. That water cannot change your mind. That water is a representation of what you did on the inside. But there will be people that will die and go to hell because they trusted in water. 
Jesus had two thieves on the cross. One of them accepted him on the cross. That thief never got off that cross to get baptized. But he said, today thou shalt be with me today in paradise. It is only by the blood of Jesus Christ that you are saved. Not of works, not of water, not of a pastor, not of an ordinance of the church. For John, truly baptized with water. I'm not going to downplay that, but you need to understand what baptism was. Baptism represented the word baptist, or baptismo, represented immersion. Literally meaning engulfed in something. When Jesus died, he died, he was buried. Romans 6, 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism in the death. That like as Christ was baptized from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in newness of life. We're going to get to that in a minute. Man, I hope I don't run out of time. Newness of life. You are going to be different. There's a power that's going to step in in your life. It's not from the water because I'm going to show you here in a minute that it was not from the water. But he says this, for we have been planted together, listen to this, in the likeness. It's a simile. It's a comparison. In the likeness of his death, even though we are in the likeness of his resurrection, in the likeness, we died our past. We were raised in newness of life. That is a symbol. You say, well, what, you just, what about me then? What about my sin? What about my past? If it's talking about baptism here in a minute, and it's talking about my need in my life, and you're telling me that that does not make a difference, he was representing saying, hey, let me point back to what John did of old things being passed away and old, uh, all things becoming new. Keep reading in John or Acts 1.5. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. Let me get, let me get an idea. How many of you know in your heart for sure that you are saved? Raise your hand right now. You need to understand this, this explanation of what's going on here. He's given this description right now that you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost. On the day that you accepted Jesus Christ, God stepped into your life. God does not force it. God does not come over and make you. The Bible explains salvation is a gift from God. Nobody makes somebody take a gift. A gift is received. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God, it is a gift paid for by God, offered to us. God offered us the gift. But we're about to see the spiritual visual of what God does when he comes into our lives. Through the presence of God in our lives, here's the thing, you are saved. Without the Holy Spirit stepping into your life, without the Holy Spirit coming over your life, you are lost. Ephesians 2.1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead. If, if, I, if I could, man, I'd love to preach on this for the rest of the time. If you are dead, you can't do anything to make you alive. Some of you are going to start putting the pieces together of what we're talking about, why I spent so much time talking about Jesus was raised from the dead, the dunamis power, a power to bring life to that which is dead. 
if you, if you have this idea, well, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to work and I, I, I pray this rosary or I, I, I get baptized and get wet or I, I serve the Lord and I, I try, 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 try. If you are dead, none of those things is going to make a corpse live. I'm not trying to be morbid, but I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the biblical illustration. You doing good and giving to the church and, and going out and serving and you blah, 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 all the different things to do to, would be like going up and giving aspirins to a corpse. And then you turn around and say, well, I think everything's okay. No, everything's not okay. You're dead. You're dead. Romans 8, 11 explains this. But the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelled in you. L- listen to this. We're talking about what God does when he gets a a hold of your life. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make you alive, your mortal bodies, by his spirit that dwelleth in you. There's a corrupted condition in our life that cannot be changed outside the power of God. When Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and we read this all the time, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That word power that the Holy Ghost has come upon you is that dunamis power. It is the power of God that steps into your dead life, your old man, and gives life to that which was dead. For anyone that is here that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I hate to tell you, spiritually, you are dead. And you cannot be changed by yourself. Saying, what, what, what did God promise them? He said, I promise you that I will give you the Holy Spirit that is able to give life to that which is dead. But this is cool. To understand, let's, let's dig back another layer of even seeing what that is. You see, you look at this word baptized and being baptized in the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God does when we walk an aisle during church and we bow next to our beds when we're kids or whatever and we accept Jesus Christ in our life. He said in Acts chapter 1 verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized. Now I just told you the word baptized means to be immersed. But listen to this. I, I, I went a little further with this and I looked up the root word of baptize. The root word to this means to cover wholly with a fluid to stain. Do you get it? <laughs> you say, you have no idea my past. You have no idea what I've done. You realize that there's people that come in here with arrest records, past abortions, divorce, fornication, adultery, gossip, hate, greed, everything under the sun. And Jesus said when he calls us and the spirit of God begins to work in our life and we come to the cross and we accept Jesus Christ. And he said, you're baptized in that. He turns around and he takes the sin that you had. He takes the past, your failures, your mess-ups, all those different things. And on the day that you accept Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God takes your life and dunks it in the blood of Jesus Christ. And your blood, is your sin is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is not you. It is what God does inside of our lives. We sit there and talk about, man, who we are. It's about what God makes us. Conviction comes to your life through the Spirit of God. He shakes you, not the preacher. He opens your eyes, not the person that prays with you. 
And all of a sudden, God, through the Holy Spirit, begins to change you in a way that you could never do by yourself. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our sin is submerged through the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus Christ. We sing this song all the time. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Doesn't matter how bad your past is. There's a power that gets a hold of your life to change you in a way that you could never do. If you are saved, you are washed, covered, stained by the blood of Jesus Christ through the work that you did not do yourself. And this is good. We, we see in this, before they walked out of there, they were not only saved. We're not only saved. And I tell you, I, I'm, I'm comparing what was going there. They were not only saved because of the work of the Holy Spirit of God in their life. They were sealed. Now, this is important for us to understand. When you get saved by God, God does the sealing in your life. God does the work in your life. God does the change in your life. We have this fear that all of a sudden, a lot of people, when I mess up and I sin, all of a sudden I need to run back to God and say, give it to me again, I lost it back there. There's a reminder of what God does in our life. Ephesians 1.13, we're talking about the Spirit of God working in our life. And whom ye also trusted. Okay, that was all of us. I trusted Jesus. After that ye heard the word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The gospel for your salvation is what saved you. And whom also, after that ye believed, listen to this, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. You cannot undo what God has done. I know we don't get this. But let me tell you, if you can lose your salvation by doing wrong, it means you did something good to get it. If you can drop it by doing wrong, it means you did something good to get it in the first place. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I don't think we fully understand what God did when he stepped into our lives. We sit there and we try to maintain and we live in fear and we live in stressed out of whether I messed up or not. Once again, what is the word washing in that passage? It's the same word for baptism. God says, let me tell you what I did. When you got saved, I dunked you in the blood of Jesus Christ. I pulled you out. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. It was not you. And by the way, it's according to his mercy, not yours. It wasn't your good. You could never do it. That's why he had to show us mercy. Mercy is withholding punishment that you deserved. I want to explain this like this. There was a man named Nicodemus that came to Jesus. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So this made sense to him. Jesus is given this comparison. And Jesus said that this man comes to him and says, You're telling me I have to go back to my mom and be born again? How many of you guys know that that's impossible? Okay? So God says, No, I'm glad you understand the concept of being born, but you're missing the bigger picture. You were only born once of your mother, and you can only be born once 
spiritually in your life. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. He said unto them, ye must be born again. When I had our, oh, I said that wrong. When Jenny had our three kids, I could hurt. It's like, you did what? When our three kids were brought into the world, I can promise you this. They messed up a lot. A lot. And I tell you, I love them through their mistakes. I love them through their good. But I tell you, when they were born, they became mine. And no matter how much I would like to go back and say, all right, that's it, you're out of here, get out of my house or whatever, they could go up to the government, have their DNA checked, and they're like, according to your blood, you belong to that dude. They drag him right back and said, these are your kids, you can't just get rid of them. Do you realize that when you were saved, you were born into the family of God, and as the children of God, you cannot be unborn. You say, well, I messed up really bad. Welcome to being children of God. (laughs) But as children of God, of the example that God gave to us, he does not stop loving his kids. Whom he loves, he corrects. He does not give up on you. He spanks us, brings them back. He loves us. He convicts us. He changes us. You say how? Because we have the Spirit of God inside of us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God keeps his promise. Let me put it on a level. You're saying regeneration and washing of the blood and all this other stuff. Okay. You send your kid to school. They have a jacket. On the back of their jacket, you write their name. In case they lose their jacket, they know who it belongs to. When you got saved, God took you and wrote his name on the back of you, okay? This kid belongs to me. There's Andy written on the bottom of your feet, okay? I don't know how. Trying to get this across to you. You are saved. You are sealed. But I want, I want to so desperately bring you into this, this place where God, where you see the touch of God or the movement of God, of what God does. And I'm about to introduce a word to you. I'm about to introduce a principle to you that's going to be uncomfortable, that, that's going to make people not like me. There, I'm going to introduce something to you that's going to sit there and say, well, then maybe I don't want the promise of God or the movement of God and all those things. Because we are not only, because of this presence of God, and you are not only saved, you are not only sealed, but you are to be sanctified. You know what the word sanctified means? It means set apart. I'm, I'm talking about what God does when he got a hold of your life. You were baptized, consumed, taken over, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. God has called us to something that a lot of people today do not understand. And this will definitely set up next week's message as we talk about the potential that is within us. Part of salvation is surrender. I could not accept the gift. I could not do it until I reached my arms up and said, I need you. God is never going to force it in your life. You will never have a change in your life until you get to the point where you realize, I need you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, realizing your works, your good deeds, your church attendance is not cutting it. You need God. And you reach out to God. Part of it is surrender. And through that surrender, you realize that God steps into our lives. 
We're talking about the presence of God with us, the indwelling of the Spirit of God with us, the promise, the comforter, the Holy Ghost in us. 1 Corinthians 6.17 explains this. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. I am his and he is mine. I, I, there's, there's something, a union. You, you talk about we're the bride of Christ, and I know I'm kind of reiterating the sealed part. We're the bride of Christ. The Bible says the two shall become one, and there's all these symbolism, symbolism. But in this passage right here, when he talks about stepping in your life, but he that is joined, connected, bound unto the Lord is one spirit. You know, I know I'm going to heaven because his spirit dwells inside of me. When he takes his spirit out of here, whoo, I'm going too. We're bound. We're one. We're unified. He steps into our hearts. He steps into our minds. You want to know why we don't experience a movement of God? You want to know why we don't have the Acts revivals? You want to know why we quench the Spirit of God? Because we don't get this. In verse 19, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, what? Now just stop and think about how he does this. When he's talking to the church, he goes, what? All the sin and everything that they're running to the world and whatever culture said and whatever sin is brought up. Paul walks in there and says, what? Question mark. It would be something like this. What in the world? Are you, are you kidding me? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Stop right there. This church is not the temple of God. Amen. It's not. If you believe that, then you discredit what Jesus said to us. It's not the temple of God. Which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. The only reason that we can call this place the biblical church is because believers are gathered in this place. And if we gathered into a bar next week, that would be the church. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. God takes up residence in your life. What you have of God, and you are not your own. Don't ask for revival. Don't ask for God to work through your life. Don't ask for the anointing. Don't ask for the touch. Do not ask. Do not ask. When you sit there and say, Get out of my business. We have issues today. That we'll get mad at the preacher when we sit up there and God says, this is what you're to do with your life. And you turn around and say, what? Oh, are you kidding me? Use my spiritual gifts. Surrender sin. Get this out of my life. Stop going to bars. Stop doing this and all this other stuff. Who are you to say? God said, you belong to me. You know why every person in every generation and Paul and everybody experienced an outpouring of God? Because they were like, all oh, that Jesus, I surrender. My life belongs to you. Take it, use it, fill it, and make a difference. And we sit there and buckle up and God says, what are you doing holding back what belongs to me? What are you doing resisting what I want to do in your life? For you are, if you back up, it says, for you are bought with a price in verse 20. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belongs to God. You are to be set apart, different from the world. You belong to God. That whole word in Acts chapter 5, or Acts chapter 1, verse 5, when he said promise of being baptized in the Holy Spirit or consumed, 
God did not say that he was going to sprinkle us. And I know that's things in other churches where they take a little bit of the water and they sprinkle it on there. We were not sprinkled. We were immersed. Which means that God takes you with the Holy Spirit of God. And God says, watch this. You know what part of you I'm going to put under? It's your body. It's your soul. It's your spirit. It's your heart. You're your mind. You ready for this? All belongs to Jesus. All of it. God is not interested in visitation rights with you on Sunday morning. You show up and say, well, it's time to worship. God said, what was last night? What, 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 was, what, what was Thursday night when you were drinking? What was Tuesday night when you were running around? What was, what was Wednesday when you were cussing out your kids? I know this isn't popular today. I know people get all... I tell you what. If you want to see the work of God and the Spirit of God, you got to understand what God was telling them to do in this passage. Amen. The verse, John, or Acts chapter 1, verse 5, when he says that I baptize you, God consumes us. He takes us over. He said, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. You can turn around and say, well, I can do whatever I want with my body. It doesn't matter who I'm hurting. It's not about, about who you're hurting. It's about who you're glorifying. Amen. Do, do you guys get that? Well, this is 2017. I don't care if it's 2080. I, I, that doesn't matter. The word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. I'm talking about doing that which is right and doing that which is wrong. We've got to understand your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit, your attitude belongs to God. Every single bit of it. All of you, God consumes us. You belong to God. Your habits belong to God. Your language belongs to God. Your relationship belongs to God. So if that means that my spirit and his spirit are joined together and we are one in spirit, if that means the Holy Spirit comes inside of me and I am the temple of God, and all of a sudden people have this attitude, and, and I've said this before, where we, we will stand in this building and somebody will say something wrong and they'll say, I can't believe you just said that in church. According to the scripture we just said, if you said it in the parking lot, you're still saying it in church. If you cuss at home and you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, you just, you just cussed in church. God didn't save brick. He saved you. He didn't die for mortar. He died for souls. Quit getting the idea that you step into a spiritual bubble when you step into this building and all of a sudden I'm going to act right and live right and look good and act good and then you walk out there and live like the devil. Because if you've got the Spirit of God living inside of you, when you walk out those doors, you're hand in hand with the Spirit of God. And when you walk into the bar, you're dragging Jesus with you. And when you cuss at your kids, it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit that's cussing in the presence of your dirty mouth. You say, what happens when that happens? Well, we'll get into that next week because there's such a thing when God says quench not the spirit of God you know what that word quench means stop throwing a wet blanket on the flame that I want to that I want to consume this world with God consumes us you need to know this last part right here okay talking about sanctification God not only consumes us God changes us that renewing in that verse that we read in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that renewing, the same word for renovating. When God 
steps into your life, when you are saved, when you are consumed, when you invite them in, when the presence of God comes in here, all the places that we looked at, when you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, when you've been sealed, when you've been saved, all these different words, God then begins to do a work in your life. You belong to God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and he says, I will give you the power of the Holy Spirit. He promised that. But you shall receive power. After what? The Holy Ghost shall come upon you. Then he says this, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and that. So he says, you know what I'm going to do in you? I'm going to have the Holy Spirit come inside of you, and then you're going to go into all the world, and you're going to be a witness to me everywhere you go. Now let me ask you, what about you can save people? What about you can change people? What about you can restore marriages? What about you can pull people out of the drugs and alcohol? Say nothing. But what if there was light? What all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon you and we realize what he does is he begins to sanctify. He begins to tear out the old. I just, I just went back down to my mom and dad's house and I, I, and, and I redid their master bathroom and went in there and I went in and I took out a hammer and things and I began to rip things apart, tear out walls and get all the junk out. You know what God does when you get saved? He begins to tear out the junk in your life. All of a sudden, it says the washing of the word. Can you pull up Titus 3.5 again? He talks about what God does. You've got to understand what God does in your life. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. The washing right there literally means God begins to scrub on you. God begins to change you. If you walk in the world and you look like the previous owner... You get what I'm saying with that? You've been bought with a price. All of a sudden, my house after I bought it on Green Bay Court needs to look like Tony and Jenny live there, not like the previous owners. God stepped in your life. You should resemble God in all that you do. You say, how is that? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Those things should be coming out of your life. If they are not, something is wrong. God changes us from the inside out. And renewing of the Holy Ghost, God makes us different. Different. Until we're different, we will have no impact. Until we're surrendered, there will be no impact. Until we go to God in the Word of God and say, What is wrong? Take it out. What is missing? You say, I thought what would change the world is the Holy Spirit. Oh, you've got it. I've tried to show you over and over and over again in Scripture, you've got it. You've got it. The potential inside every one of us to be holy men and women of God that change the world and shake the world and bring revival is already in you. Just squish it. What do you think that would do to my relationship with my wife if I came home with a girlfriend? sat there and I was trying to have fellowship with my wife while I'm holding another girl's hand. See, that's disgusting. Know you not that your friendship with the world is enmity with God? Know you not that you come to church on Sunday and you say, why won't God work and why won't God save and why won't God change? And then you go out to the world and we do all the junk of this world and we wonder why. 
because you're holding hands with sin, wanting God to come down and do something big. 